Hello, Galactic Castaways. This is Alpha Control, the podcast about Irwin Allen's classic sci-fi adventure TV series, Lost in Space. I am your mission controller for this podcast, Colonel Lane August, and I'm joined by my trusty co-controller, Dr. Kurt Kersteiner. Kurt and I are old college chums, children of the 1960s, and most importantly, big fans of Lost in Space. Welcome aboard as we blast off together to celebrate Erwin Allen's Lost in Space. Now, let's get ready to launch. Welcome back, folks, for a special episode of Alpha Control, a Lost in Space podcast. Today I'm flying the Jupiter 2 solo without my trusty co-host, Kurt, but that's because we have a very special guest, Sandy Gimpel, best known to fans of Lost in Space as Bill Moomy's stunt double, Ms. Gimpel has racked up an impressive 50-plus year career in show business in a variety of on- and off-screen roles. In fact, over the course of that career, Sandy has earned over 130 stunt performance and 30 acting credits on a multitude of television shows and feature films. In addition to her accomplishments in front of the camera, Sandy was the first and one of the very few stunt women in the industry to achieve the status of Directors Guild of America Second Unit Director and Stunt Coordinator. Before we speak with her, a little background information on Ms. Gimpel. Born in Los Angeles, Sandy worked her way into show business as a professional dancer, performing in The Westinghouse Show at a local attraction, Pacific Ocean Park. Her on-screen break came when she was picked to work on a 1960 Fred Astaire film, The Pleasure of His Company, dancing parts in several other movies, including 15 Elvis Presley features followed. During those early days, Sandy also worked a variety of central casting extra and small acting parts. The first one of significance to sci-fi fans was in 1964 as one of the Telosians in the original pilot for Star Trek titled The Cage. Initially, NBC passed on Trek, but after Lost in Space became a hit for CBS in 1965, the Peacock Network decided it needed its own primetime space opera and commissioned an unprecedented second Star Trek pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, which led to the series being picked up for NBC's fall 1966 schedule. However, the first episode of the series aired was not that second pilot, but instead a story titled The Man Trap, in which Sandy was cast to perform the iconic role of the Salt Vampire. Earlier that same year, Sandy was selected as Bill Moomy's stand-in for the second season of Lost in Space. Shortly after being hired, the series stunt coordinator Paul Stater asked her if she'd like to also stunt double for the actor. Her response was, what's a stunt? With that question, a career was started. She went on a train with Stater and began perfecting her craft while also working on Lost in Space over the next two years. That fateful decision to become a stunt performer on Lost in Space 
opened many doors for Sandy, resulting in a lifetime of achievement in the entertainment industry, for which she has garnered numerous awards and accolades. And thanks to her lifelong passion for fitness, she continues to be active in the business today. We're going to speak with Sandy about her behind-the-scenes experience working for Irwin Allen, a little Star Trek, and her incredible groundbreaking career in show business. So sit back and enjoy this engaging interview with the amazing Sandy Gimpel. Hey, Sandy Gimpel, welcome to Alpha Control. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, I'm so delighted you could join us on our show celebrating Irwin Allen's original Lost in Space. I've got quite a few things I'd like to talk to you about, not just Lost in Space related, but I'd like to start out by asking you, how did you get into show business? Because that's a fascinating story. <laughs> um, I was a dancer and um, was dancing at a amusement park here in Los Angeles called Pacific Ocean Park. I had actually quit college to do that job mm. and I had signed a three-year contract with them. Basically, what happened was I auditioned for West Side Story as a jet mm. and in the feature, the movie, and I got the job and then Westinghouse would not let me out of my contract. Ooh. So well, I didn't get to do that. But then when my contract was up, I auditioned for The Pleasure of His Company with Fred Astaire, which was a feature. I got to be one of his dancers. That's how I got in the business. Wow. So that's basically how it happened. Wow. First time on screen and you're uh, dancing with Fred Astaire. That's <laughs> that's awesome. It really was awesome. And then, you know, it's interesting because when we did Towering Inferno, he was in Towering Inferno. Oh, yeah. And I, I walked up to him and said, I've got to tell you this story. <laughs> and he was amazing. I mean, what an amazing man. He goes, I said, I got to dance on, you know, on your show with, you know, I wasn't sure who I danced, couldn't remember. And he danced with me on the set before we started shooting. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, great. What came next? Um, what came next was I danced. The dancers were a thing called extra. They were extras, and that which means they did the background work, and the dancers were in that union. So I started doing a little bit of background work and ended up auditioning for a couple of dance things. I mean, I danced on a show for Elvis Presley. I think the first one was Clambake. He was an amazing guy and wanted the same people around all the time. And I ended up doing 15 pictures with him as a dancer. Mm. I was one of his five dancers. And then from the dancing, what happened was I started doing line work and all the lines were tall and I'm not very tall. So mm. I thought, well, I'll, if I can stand in on a show, which means you, you go in and, and stand in for the actor while they light the lights and do that. This is actually how I got Lost in Space. Um, I went on an audition for Lost in Space. They were looking for a new stand-in for Billy Mommy. And I went on the audition. I walk in the room and there was the producers and the directors and all these people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unusual. And they started asking me all these questions about my timing and my coordination and where I came from and the stunt coordinator looked at me and he said, so have you ever thought about doing a stunt? Yeah. And I seriously looked at him and said, what's a stunt? <laughs> I had no idea. And he explained it. And he said, I'll tell you what, I have a gym in Santa Monica. His stunt coordinator is Paul Stater. He said, you come to the gym three days a week and you can do this show. You can stand in for Bill. You can stunt double him. And I said, okay, cool. That's good <laughs> to me. 
(laughs) So I ended up um, doing the show for three years. And while I was there, not only did I get to stunt double bill and be on the set all the time, um, I played monsters. The voiceover person didn't show up one day and they came and said, come with us. We want you to do something. So I ended up doing the voiceover, a lot of the voiceovers on the show also. I mean, I, you know, when the carrots would scream and the <laughs> computer would talk, <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up doing a lot of that also. The cool thing about that show was everybody was like a family. Mm. So when you're standing in and they're lighting the lights and setting the cameras and stuff, the camera guy, the head director of photography was so nice. And I, I, cannot remember his name, which is terrible, but uh, it was also 1967. Sure. We would start playing games and asking questions. Where's the key light? What lens do we have on the camera? So I started learning about the camera and about lighting and everything just by standing in and them asking me questions and me answering and trying to figure out, you know, where the parameters of the camera was and all of this stuff. It was the most incredible learning experience anybody could have ever had. Right. I didn't even think about the fact that they would have people doing stand-in work, like you said, where you're actually in position for the actor so they can get all the lighting right. Does that take a long time? I mean, is it a pretty lengthy process back in those days? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they'd have to get all the lighting done. They'd get the, you know, the sets fixed if there was something to change. Your actors would do the first walkthrough, you know, so we knew where they were going to be. You know, they had a good idea what they wanted. They would go, you know, get their makeup fixed or whatever. And with Bill, he was 11, so he had to go to school. Right. So, you know, I ended up doing a lot of stuff for him because of that. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of times you'll see the back of his head and it'll be mine. (laughs) Well, that's a good point, because you basically, you kind of have to be a double for him, as the name implies, right? So you're going to be oh. wearing the same costume that he's wearing, I assume? And uh... Oh, yeah. I mean, they had a costume made for me that looked just like his, and I got my hair cut really short, so my hair you know, matched his. And I watched how he walked and how he moved so that I looked like him. Right. You know, from the back, you, they, you couldn't tell. Right. So that's pretty cool. So as you're doing the stand-in work, you're working on the side with uh, Paul Stater, and he's sort of getting you to do a little gym work and teaching you the business of doing stunts. So you're picking up all kinds of things. You had a obviously oh, had a, yeah. a real quest for uh, learning at that time. I still <laughs> It sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, I did read someplace that your size and your physique and everything was actually an asset uh, working as a stunt double on Lost in Space. Absolutely. Not- I mean, when I started... There literally wasn't anybody small unless you went to, you know, a little person. And sometimes, you know, it would be a midget, you know, that wasn't really shaped like he was. So the thing with me was I was didn't weigh very much. You know, I was like under 100 pounds and mm-hmm. I'm not even five feet tall. So it worked out perfect because I ended up doubling lots of little boys through my career because of that. And little girls. There was one other person that doubled kids in those days and myself, and there really wasn't anybody else. I can't imagine there were that many women in that business in those days doing stunts. Was that kind of groundbreaking for you to get into that work? Yeah, absolutely. It really was. Um, you know, there were a few women, but not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you already had your, I guess, your union card or whatever as an extra. Is that a different card to get into stunt work? Is that something you also have to, like, qualify for and be into a different branch of the entertainment unions? Yes. At that time, it was Screen Actors Guild, 
and Screen Extras Guild was split into two unions. So I ended up joining Screen Actors Guild to do the stunt work. And then I was in Screen Extras Guild when I did the background work. And so I had both unions. And actually, at that time, I was in equity also because I was doing live shows. Oh, that's cool. You know, yeah, because when I worked for Westinghouse, that was all live. That was, you know. Yeah. Well, one thing that you mentioned uh, early on, and I think I might have cut you off, you said it was really like being in a family working on Lost in Space. And I, I have heard that from um, some other people that were involved with the show, including some of the performers. Did you get close to uh, Billy working as his double? I, you had to, I imagine. Yeah, I knew him really well. I knew his mom really well. She was an amazing lady. You know, I mean, she really, she wasn't one of these stage moms that, you know, wanted their child to be an actor. He wanted it. And she made sure that he got his homework done and that he, you know, did all the things he was supposed to do besides being an actor, which was so nice. It was so nice. She was a great lady. She was a great lady when it came to that. Cause I've seen, you know, working with children so much. I mean, cause I worked at Disney a lot too. And some of these moms, you know, you just go, Oh my God, this, you know, was, make this child into a monster <laughs> yeah yeah well he seems very well adjusted I've, I've gotten to meet him once at a convention and he's just so multi-talented and uh, just a genuine person you know lost in oh, space uh <laughs> lost in space just one aspect of his career like yours oh yeah absolutely i mean it's interesting because he and i have friends on facebook and have been you know for a long time and then last year i was doing the hollywood show here and somebody's hitting me in the back and I turn around and it's Billy. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> it was so incredible to see him again. And I mean, he's a grown up and married and he's got kids and he's a grandpa now. It's just crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. Where does the time go? Huh? That's oh, gr- Lord. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, did you uh, gel well with the other cast members as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did the show for three years. So, you know, it was just amazing. I mean, you know, you really get to know everybody and get to be friends with everybody. And it was really good. It really was. My daughter came and, you know, she was, I think, seven or eight. I think she was something like that. And maybe younger than that, she was six. I think the first time I took her, she was really young because I have pictures of her skinny with uh, Jonathan Harris, and he's reading a book to her. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that's what made it so much of a family is that I could actually bring her to the set, and she was fine. Actually, there was one incident that happened that was really funny. I took her on the set, and I had told her about the bells. When the bell rings, you can't talk, and you can't talk until two bells ring, which means that they're through. And she understood all of what she was supposed to do and all that I thought. Mm-hmm. So we get on the set. And the bell rings, and I looked at her, and you know how you go, shh, yeah. you know, and, and she looked up at me, and they had already started shooting, right? Right. And she looked up at me, and she goes, don't worry, Mommy, I won't talk. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that, I was like, oh, my God, and the entire cast was laughing. Yeah. That's funny. They were. They thought that was the funniest thing that ever happened. And I was, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> devastated. Oh, that's a great story. But that's cool because everybody appreciated the fact you had your daughter there. And so that does make it sound yeah. like it was a great atmosphere to work in. You seem to have a very positive memory of working on Lost in Space. It was a real pleasure, oh, it, it sounded like. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and the one thing about Erwin Allen 
and Paul Stater. But Paul Stater, who was his stunt coordinator, coordinated everything for him. Mm. One thing about Irwin Allen, he was very, very loyal to his people. I don't think I've ever worked with anyone as loyal as that. Um, he made sure that the people that he liked were around all the time. I mean, he would do silly things like I thought is kind of weird, but what do I know? Somebody would be directing one of the the main directors. We had, you know, like three or four or five directors that did all the shows. And when Erwin would come in, he'd want to take over. Mm. It got to the point we had one director, Sobe Martin, um, and he'd go back and sit in his chair. And Erwin would take over and start directing and do his thing. And then when he'd leave, so we'd just get back up and start working again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I have heard so many people say that Irwin Allen was, like you said, very loyal to people. When he liked you, he would give you work. And that was something that everyone seemed to appreciate, you know, and he had so much going on at the same time. But they also say, man, he was a character. He was just like uh, larger than life. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think the directing thing coming in and going out was part of it, you know. Yeah. I ended up working for him at least five years. I did Lost in Space, and when we finished Lost in Space, I did... Time Tunnel, Land of the Giants, Man from the 25th Century, and went on to do Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, had a couple more features, the snake picture he did. Well, speaking of another uh, larger-than-life character that you got to work with, I read some interesting things you had to say about Jonathan Harris, and you already mentioned he was <laughs> he was a, he was the kind of guy that would read to your daughter when she was there and everything, but I heard he was quite the character. Oh, yeah, he was. Well, you know, he was a stage actor, so... He knew how to work that camera really well. He was funny. There's a story. I think Bill tells the story also because he had mentioned it to me again, which is funny. Billy wanted to do his own stunt. I mean, he's an 11-year-old kid, right? Right, right. And I can fall down that hill. I can, you know, let me do it. And Jonathan actually walked up to him and said, you have to let her do it because she doesn't get paid unless she does it, which I did anyway. But he... That's how he explained it to Bill, was that if I didn't get to do the stunt, I didn't get paid. And that he understood. Bill would go, oh, well, in that case, let her do the stunt. Exactly. <laughs> that was, and that's how Jonathan worked it around so that I could work through the stunt. And, and Bill, as a child, understood it. Right. But he's right. You know, everybody has a role to play. And I think I've seen other quotes of his where he said, you know, don't do someone else's work if you don't have to, because they're getting paid for that job, you know. But, exactly. But, you know, I think that's something different maybe from that time and today, because it does seem like a lot more actors are doing their own stunts. Is that something that's changed over the years? It's changed to a certain degree. Um, the problem is, if I forbid the actor does a stunt and gets hurt, they don't have a show anymore. Right. So that's why you're going to have a stunt double there. A lot of times the stunt double will do the rehearsal and then the actor will say, well, I can do that. And they'll let, you know, or you let the actor rehearse it and he's fine. The only problem is when you're doing a stunt, very rarely do you do it once. And right. yes, the actor can do it once, but to do it over and over again is not good. You know, I mean, and it's a horrible thing to say, but if we get hurt, you still have a show. Right. You know, as a stunt person. But if your actor gets hurt, your lead actor gets hurt, you have no show. That's kind of where, you know, the thing is, the only difference is, is that, and and I think it was this way even in those days, granted, 
the stunt person will do the master shot, which is the wide angle, you know, right. shot. But you still have to have the face of your actor doing some of it. So he's got to be, he or she has got to be, you know, athletic enough to get through the stunt, maybe not full force, but enough that we can see who it is doing it. And then they'll interact that with the stunt person. Exactly. Well, it's a good point, too, because accidents can happen on the sets, you know, not just with stunt work, but, you know, in a show like Lost in Space, with all the uh, oh, yeah. with all the pyrotechnics going off, I mean, there were, you know, it's not completely without risk. Do you have any memories of any close calls for yourself uh, or anybody else on the set when you guys were doing the show? Actually, the only, the one I do remember, which is crazy, but we shot on stage at 20th Century Fox. And we had sand on the set, you know, with the spaceship and everything. Sure. And there was a portal they were building, this portal that they would go through to get to a different world or something. And I remember A.D. Flowers was our special effects coordinator, and he was rigging the lights around the portal, you know, and the pyrotechnics so that they would go off when somebody would go through, you know, and make all these sparks and things. Sure. And they would let the sand down to keep the dust from flying around the stage. And I will never, I don't know why I remember this, and I'll never forget, he was on the ground setting up the pyrotechnics, and one of the wires hit the water, and the whole thing went off and right on him. Oh. And he was okay. He burned his hands and stuff, but he was okay. Yeah. Wow. It could happen. They can. You know. Oh, yeah. And then a lot of times if something didn't go off, you had to be very careful that it was still charged and it could go off, you know, before the special effects guy was able to get it disconnected. Right. Wow. Well, you know, people don't think about that all the time, but it is something to consider. So that's another reason why you've got to be well trained and safety has to be considered and so forth. So. Yeah. I don't remember if we did it then, or I'm sure we must have done it then too, but we always have safety meetings if we're going to do something, you know, beyond the ordinary. You know, the whole crew and everybody, the director gets together and the first AD will explain what's going on to everybody and the whole safety meeting. And then if, the, you know, then they'll ask the stunt coordinator if there's anything else he wants to say about what's happening and where to stand and where to be far enough away from everything. Sure. Wow, I'm really enjoying this conversation with stunt artist and actor Sandy Gimpel. She's got more to share about her fascinating show business career and other passions, as well as, of course, Lost in Space. So sit tight for part two of our special Calling Alpha Control interview with Sandy Gimpel. Well, one of the things you mentioned earlier, Sandy, that I thought was pretty interesting was the fact that you didn't just do stand-in work, you didn't just do uh, stunt work, but you got to be in a lot of different roles. I think you mentioned doing some voiceover work, and I seem to recall you also did some yep. co- costume work, right? Some makeup and costume yeah, well, work I sure there. Did. In I the s- zoo, I got to play the alien child, but if you ever see that one with a lot yes. of in front. Yes. That's me. And the fly, the the gigantic fly, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, and that is really cool because they they used that mask that you wore. It was actually a pretty famous piece of movie memorabilia itself. I don't know if they told you this at the time, but it was actually worn by David Hedison in a movie in the 50s called The Fly. Did you ever know that? 
No, I didn't know yes. that. Yes, it was a very, very expensive piece of makeup at the time. I can't remember what year it came out. It's pretty funny because I remember you being the fly and sort of putting the scare into Dr. Smith. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I have a picture of Dr. Smith and myself as the flight over his shoulder. <laughs> it's just kind of cool. <laughs> uh, he had some great reactions. That's got to be fun memories. Oh, uh, God, he was, yeah. Well, there's one other question I want to ask you, and this was actually a, a listener question about Lost in Space. Did you ever get to ride in the chariot? A listener named Dan wanted to know if you got to work on the chariot or not. Yeah, actually, you know, we, I did because a lot of times they would do um, a shot of it moving across where we would shoot out at um, Bahamash because it never really moved on the stage very much, just, you know, maybe a few feet, but that sure. was about it. Sure. But um, like a lot of times, Phil would be in, um, in school. You know, and they would be shooting over the back of the actors. So I just, you know, I'd be there and do it instead of him. So, yes, I did get to ride the chariot. (laughs) That's that's pretty cool. There's actually a man that named John Antonellis out on the East Coast that's built a full-scale replica of the chariot. And he's taken it around to shows because the original, I guess, it still exists somewhere, but it's in no state to be shown or anything. So people love that vehicle. It's very iconic. So, all right. Oh, yeah. Racked up a little chariot time. That's uh, (laughs) that's fun to know. (laughs) Let's do a pivot uh, now. I want to talk about another iconic sci-fi show from the 1960s that you were involved with, and that's a little show called Star Trek. (laughs) How did you get involved with that series, Sandy? Well, it's interesting is that Paul Stater was the stunt coordinator on that show. or they I'm not sure if he was the stunt coordinator when they did the pilot or not, but they had asked him, you know, since I had been playing monsters and stuff, that I could wear these costumes. If I was working a couple of days, if I could go do their pilot, the original pilot, the cage, you know, so they loaned me over there and I got to play a Telosian. Yes. And with the head, you know, the people with the head, they talk telepathy and the veins in the head moved. Mm. So I got to be the one next to Meg, who was the main lady. And I got to be with her all the time. And talk about interesting, that particular special effects, Things are done so different today. In order to make the veins pulse in your head, mm-hmm. they had a tube that ran down your back and down your arm to a ball that was in your hand. When you pressed it, it made the veins move because it was like an air bubble. Oh, cool. Okay? Yeah. If you look at the Telosians' costumes, the sleeves on, all, on our costumes were very long. That was to hide our hands, moving our hands to make the veins move in our head. Wow. That is cool. I had always wondered how they did that. That's so simple, but it was very effective. And for the time, that was a pretty advanced piece of makeup that they had oh, there. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so cool because they apparently I did a good job and they liked me. And then when they did Man Trap and they needed someone to be in the salt vampire costume and be the salt vampire every time the real actress would turn back into supposedly who she really was, it was me. I wow. got to do that, and that was a stunt because I had to, you know, get shot and fall against the wall and hit the ground and do all that in the costume. And, and that costume, you couldn't see out of it. So they made sure that the head came off. So we did all the rehearsals with Shatner with the head off so I could see where he was. If you look at the costume, the tentacles on the fingers went out at least six inches beyond my real fingers. Sure. So the tentacles had to hit Shatner in the face. Well, it's hard enough to figure out where something is when you can't feel it. 
much less when you can't see it. So we did all the rehearsals. I knew I figured out where to stand and where the length of, you know, my length was of my arm. And it worked out perfect. We put the hat on and we did all the shots and it, it worked out just perfect. Oh, man. Well, it really sells. I mean, that is such an iconic looking costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's really scary looking and knowing that you can't see and, and the fingers and everything, that is unbelievable. What did you think when you saw that co- costume for the first time? When I looked at it, I thought it was pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting when you're inside the costume, you don't think about it. Was it hot? Was it was it heavy? Or, I mean, oh, yeah. It was heavy and it was hot. It was you know, nothing like what they do today. But like I said, the good thing was that, you know, the head did come off so that I could, you know, see where it was and take a break every once in a while. Well, that was also cool. Here you you got to work with Bill Shatner doing those scenes, I guess, huh? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I just saw him. um, We did a Star Trek convention in England that he was at, and we got to sit and talk for a minute about it. So it was kind of cool. That's very cool. How many episodes of of Star Trek were you in? I were you doing some extra well, work I, for them, too? Yeah, I basically did. I didn't do extra work for them, but I did some of the um, crew and the ship would go bouncing around and people would fall down. Mm-hmm. So technically it was stunts because I got to fall down. So, you know, I got to play crew members in the background, you know, hitting the ground and doing that stuff. But <laughs> Yeah. Okay, jump down. The ship's getting hit by a photon torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Boom, and then we start shaking around and, you know. That's pretty interesting. This is all kind of happening at the same time. Was Gene Roddenberry around? Did you ever see or work or get to observe him? Yes. Uh, He was on set in the beginning days constantly. He never left the set. I mean, you talk about hands-on. He was hands-on. I actually have a picture, I think it's on the internet somewhere, of the Telosians with Gene Roddenberry in the picture. And he's actually standing next to me. Oh, wow. Cool. Which was kind of cool, yeah. That is so is interesting. Cool. It's funny because this is all happening around the same time, like I say. So Lost in Space yeah. is happening over on Fox, and then uh, I guess uh, Star Trek's over on, uh, is it Desilu or Paramount lot? I don't remember where they were filming. Right. Well, Desilu and Paramount at the time were connected. I got it. So it was, it was Desilu, but it was, it was Paramount, you know. Sure. And you're getting to see and observe and work with two really iconic, big time, oh, uh, yeah. you know, icons of sci-fi TV history, Gene Roddenberry and Irwin Allen. I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, but how would you compare the two? I'm sure. Nothing alike. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Absolutely nothing alike. <laughs> yeah. um, totally, totally different kinds of people. I mean, as far as I can remember, they just they were just nothing like, you know, Erwin was a little off the wall where Gene was more, you know, he was brilliant. You know, Gene Rodney was brilliant. I mean, if you take a look at the stuff that we did and had on those shows, they had flip phones. There was no such thing as a flip phone. Right. There was no such thing as an iPad. He had all that stuff in those shows. Absolutely. And in the 60s. And that was not even thought about. Yeah. Did Erwin did know you were occasionally working on Star Trek at the same time, or was that no big deal? I, I don't know. <laughs> and you I, didn't tell? I, I know. I mean, I, he never asked me, and I never sure. told him. And, right. You know, there wasn't that many people in the business at that time that did what I was doing. Right. There really wasn't anybody. Um, 
you know, there were some guys, there were a lot of guys, not a lot, but you know, there were several, I mean, there was five or six of us that used to go work out in the gym in Santa Monica. I work out with the guys that are in the Stuntman's Association, but there were no women. Yeah. Not them, you know, anything like there is today. Right. That brings me to, as we close things out here, you know, the whole concept of stunt work in general. And I'm going to ask you that same question that you asked, Paul Stater. What is a stunt? Tell us. <laughs> well, it can run from falling down to jumping off a building to being on wires mm. to getting set on fire to a fight. Basically, those are all stunts. You know, you think, well, a fight, a fight's easy. Well, a fight's not that easy. And especially when you're on camera, all of the hits have to look real. And you're not really hitting the other guy. Right. And if somebody screws up, it's real easy to dislocate somebody's jaw. Exactly. <laughs> or hit, hurt them. <laughs> you know, we've had accidents where, you know, the ground is given way underneath somebody that's pushing off to do a high fall and miss the airbag or the boxes that they were going into gotten killed you know i mean something that seems so simple can be so dangerous i guess that's the reason it takes so much training and that the guy that brought you into the business paul stater wanted you to hit the gym yes. and so forth because um it can't be very physical well did your background as a dancer was that an asset for you as well do you think yeah absolutely because i know my body very well and from dancing i know my timing is good my coordination is good all of that was so important to everything that I did because I was doing so much physical stuff. I mean, an example, when we did Brave New World, I supposedly had to get blown off a mountain because they're using air guns to control these people on Brave New World. And we went out to Pear Blossom. I looked at the mountain and I said, okay, it's 35 feet up. It gets windy out here. I wanted this shot first thing in the morning. I'll bring out my airbag and boxes, but I need the bottom of the mountain leveled out so I can put my boxes and my airbag in there. And they said, okay, no problem. Well, what happened was I got there. Nobody had dug the mountain out. Oh. So three or four stunt guys came with me to help spot me. They literally dug it out as level as they could. We put 12 by 12 boxes together, made, you know, made boxes out of them, and leveled the ground out, put my airbag on top of that, you know, I had the guys on the four corners spotting to make sure that, God forbid, I didn't miss. Mm. Well, the problem was it took hours to get this thing set up. So we go to do the stunt, and they go, we're breaking for lunch. <laughs> and I'm going, guys, I told you what happens after 1 o'clock out here. The wind starts gusting really bad. Well, we can't help it. We can't, put, you know, the crew can't go into overtime and, or into meal penalties and all of this. So sure. I said, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> I got on top of that mountain and I literally had to have one of the stunt guys laying down on the backside of the mountain where they couldn't see him holding on to me because the wind was blowing so hard. Mm. Basically what we did was I said, just roll the cameras because the wind would gust and then it would stop for a few seconds and then it would gust again. So I had him hold on to me. I had them roll the cameras, which was not smart, but I was young. And when the gust stopped, I said, let go, something like that. And he knew to let go of me. And I jumped. I had to jump and lay out flat, like it looked like it blew me off the mountain. So that means I went straight out and then laid backwards, but landed in my airbag on my back. Wow. <laughs> well, if you look at that film, 
I look like a piece of paper swishing back and forth because the wind started blowing again. As I hit the airbag, it blew the air out of the airbag, and I went straight through the airbag to the boxes. Oh. Thank God I had boxes. Yes. I was enough to, you know, to do that. But there's been a few close calls. I've had a few close calls. But knock on wood, thank God, I'm pretty good about looking at the rigging, making sure that I'm happy with the way something's rigged and it's not changing so that I'm the one on the rigging, either you know, if it's an airbag or if it's wire work or if I'm bungee jumping, I want to make sure that I feel safe because if God forbid something happens, it's going to be my fault. I'm not going to blame somebody else for rigging it wrong because it's my responsibility. I'm the one on the rig. Absolutely. That's interesting. And it's a great example of just how much preparation and experience plays a part in selling these stunts and making sure that they're done safely and so forth. You know, I oh, also yeah. happen to know that you got to transition to doing work behind the camera as well as in front of it, I think, as a second unit director and a stunt coordinator. How did yes. that happen? I talk about being blessed. I was stunt coordinating Mrs. Columbo, Kate Columbo, with Kate McGrew. I think maybe we had one other girl as a stunt coordinator. She got fired for something, and I can't remember what it was. And I literally fought to get that job. The producer had said to me, well, I don't know if I can hire a woman. And I said, I'll tell you what, if I screw up, just take me in your office and I'll quit. <laughs> so he hired me. Well, we went to do the first episode and we had so many things to do. There was had a seven day shoot and they couldn't finish the show. The production manager called me in the office and said, OK, we're going to put up a second unit and get some of this driving done that Kate has to do. And I'm calling in. I'm not even going to mention his name, a gentleman stuntman, and he's going to direct second unit and just be on the set with him and make sure, you know, we're doing it the same way we've been shooting this because you know how we're shooting. Mm. And I said, no. And he said, what do you mean? No. I said, I want to direct second unit. (laughs) I had been coordinating, you know, a lot of independent stuff. And this is the first series, you know, TV series on a big network that I had gotten. And he said, well, they're not going to let you do it. And I said, well, I'm not going to come in and help him. I said, you know, that's not fair. I want a direct second unit. I know the show. Thank God the production manager was, he liked me. And he said, well, I don't think it's going to happen. And it was the end of the day. (laughs) And I said, oh, I'm going home. It's time to go home anyway. So I got in my car and I will never forget as long as I live. I sat down in my car and started crying because I figured I blew the stunt coordinating job and everything because you just didn't say you weren't coming in Mm. at Universal Studios. Right. I got home an hour later. My production manager called me and said, 9 a.m., you sign your contract. Wow. And he went in after me. And I got to direct second unit on the first episode. And apparently they liked it because I directed second unit on every single episode we did after that. That's awesome. One little footnote to it. I was the first woman to ever get her second unit directing card. Amazing. even today... You can count women that have their second interacting card on your hands. Oh, Sandy, that is awesome. It must feel really, really good knowing that you broke ground and I guess opened many doors for women in this business by being such a pioneer. It absolutely makes me very proud to be able to be, you know, open doors for more stunt women to move ahead in the business. And I just wish I could do more than I do. 
Oh, well, it seems to me you've uh, more than pulled your weight. When I was looking at that IMBD listing of all the stunt and acting parts that you've done, and it is quite a resume. And I see that you're still working today. I think I just saw a commercial recently that you did, and that's awesome. Yep, yep. I did a Walgreens shadow boxing commercial. In fact, I think it's still running. The whole thing is me boxing. <laughs> oh, it's great. And you are in such marvelous shape. I mean, 50 years in this business and you're still doing it all. What's the secret to that? How, what can you share with our audience about how you've been able to keep yourself in such great condition? My attitude is I don't want to get old. I want to work. I want to be healthy. And so I eat as healthy as I possibly can. I mean, I screw up every once in a while like everybody else, but I do eat healthy and I work out six days a week. I do weight work twice a week. I do um, Chai bowl basically, mm. the rest of the week. I'm a fourth-degree black belt in Taekwondo. Wow. Um, I stay as active as I possibly can. And I think that has a lot to do with it and, and your attitude about life in general. Well, I can tell you have a real passion for it. In fact, I think a few years ago you did your own fitness DVDs. or yeah. Yes, I did, yep. It's it's great. And I mean, I think that is a key for not just people in this business, but the way society is today, it's so easy to get trapped by your smartphone or the computer. Or it used to be just the TV. And, you know, if you turn into a couch potato, man, it can really catch up with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's just my opinion, but I think a big problem is, is that people say, oh, well, I want to retire. So they retire and they stop doing things. You can't just sit around. You can't sit for eight hours a day and do nothing. Like you said, watch television, watch your computer or something. You have to be up. My mom, you know, and my mom never really exercised, but she made it to 94 years old. And she would go to the mall and walk all day long. She'd walk right. around the mall and have lunch there and, you know, when she was older. And that alone just kept her going and physical. I mean, she lived by herself. So I think that helps a lot. I think it's just staying active and, you know, whether you're going to the gym and working out or you're walking the hills or you're, you know, you're doing something physical. It's really, really important. And I've done a lot of stuff for the Ragdoll Restoration Foundation and for battered children and things like that. And what happens is you end up giving, you know, not only are you teaching these kids self-defense and how to protect themselves, but you're giving speeches to the parents and the people that are taking care of the kids before you ever start. And we did one where, you know, they were going to these seminars all day long. Mm. They got to me about two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, and they were, everybody was tired. You could see them. And I said, okay, what are we going to do before I start telling you about the kids and how I feel and what I do? And they all looked at me and I said, I want everybody to stand up. And they mm. looked at me like, I said, just everybody stand up. And this is what I want you to do. Stand up, you take a deep breath, put your arms above your head as you're breathing in and blow it out. I made them do just these stretches that they could do right in front of their chair, standing there. And we did it for about two minutes. I said, how's everybody feel? You have mm. no idea the response I got. Just that alone, everybody went, oh my God, I feel so much better. Absolutely. It makes yeah. a huge difference. It really does. That was brilliant that you did that. Uh, because if you're just stuck in your chair 12 hours a day, that nope. is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You've got to keep your body moving. It's got to be in motion. Well, you seem to have a real passion for it. And I think that's a part of the secret to your success. So my hat's off to you for that. Um, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we close it out, I just got a couple little questions to end on here. After 50 years in show business, do you have any general advice for people who might want to get into this business? Um, depending on what they want to do, 
I do a lot of things with the new people coming into the business, actors, and, you know, giving talks about etiquette on the set and things like that. But you definitely have to have a passion for it because it's not like getting a job where you're going to work every day, especially if you're an actor or a stunt person. You're just not going to work every day. So you've got to be able to sustain yourself when you're not working. Right. I've been very blessed. I had a, you know, my DVDs were out for a while, but I never stopped working. I've been so lucky and so blessed in this business because I've made my living at it. And a lot of people do. But then there's a lot of people, you know, that you just have to have the wherewithal to know that you're not going to work every day. And that when you're not working, you've got to be making phone calls. You've got to be doing the things, you know, training, doing the things you need to do so that when you get the job, you're going to be good at it. You're ready. Yeah. One of the other things you pointed out in that one little story about getting to second unit direct is I guess you got to be your own advocate, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. <laughs> you know, you have to do it nicely, but you have to do it. You have to be sure of yourself, sure enough of yourself that you know when you do get it, you can perform. Right. There's one little tiny story I'll tell you really quick. Sally Fields, who I used to double a lot, she was doing comedy when she was younger, right? That's all she did. She did Flying Nun. She did all yeah. this comedy stuff. Well, when they were casting for Sybil, the show Sybil, she wanted to audition for it, and they said no. She couldn't get her agents, nobody. They couldn't get her an interview. And she finally talked them into getting an interview to be civil because it was a very heavy, heavy show. I mean, here she is playing six or seven different parts right. of the girl being schizophrenic or something. And she went into that audition as civil and got the part. Wow. Yeah. That's- That's it. That's it. You've got to be sure of yourself and don't take no for an answer. Like you said, be nice about it. But if you hadn't stood up for yourself, you never would have gotten a chance to do what you did and think about what all that led to. That's awesome. Well, I'm so impressed with everything that you've done. You obviously appreciate it. You've said several times how you feel blessed. And I think that's also a great attitude to have. I mean, when I think about it, for our audience, the biggies are, of course, Lost in Space and Star Trek. I mean, just the fact that you played a role in those two iconic sci-fi TV series, that has to also make you just really appreciate the career that you've had. Yeah, it really does. And it's interesting because I had no idea when I was actually doing them that they would become this iconic. I had no clue. Yeah. You never know. You never know. That's awesome. No, you don't. You have oh. no idea. Well, gosh, I can't thank you enough, Sandy, for being so very generous with your time and joining us on Alpha Control. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today and getting to hear your stories. I know it's going to be a treat for our listeners. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, is there any place where listeners can catch up with you? Do you have Facebook or Twitter or anything else? Um, I'm on Facebook at Sandy Gimpel. Um I don't tweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I just never, ever am on it. And like, if you can go to IMDb, it'll tell you kind of basically what's going on. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Well, we'll uh, certainly link to that in the show notes for this. And if you do have some stuff that's coming up that you'd like to come and talk to us again about, the uh, door's open. I'll just say thanks once again. It's been a real treat and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Goodbye, Sandy. Bye-bye. That was a blast speaking with the multi-talented Sandy Gimpel. 
she played a part in the history of two classic sci-fi TV shows. So getting her on Alpha Control was a real coup. Perhaps we'll get a chance to catch up with her again down the line. In the meantime, we will be back next time with another episode of Alpha Control, where Kurt and I will get back to reviewing our beloved original Lost in Space. Until then, take care, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, fellow Galactic Castaways, for listening to the Alpha Control Podcast. Please leave your comments or questions on our Facebook page, Twitter, or email us at alphacontrolpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast via libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Or through iTunes. If you like the show, please leave us a review as well. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week, same time, same channel.